of us every day. We especially rely on you in these uncertain times today. We ask that you will hear our request and you'll open our hearts to your word as Philip brings us the message that we might be filled with your spirit and with a desire to do what you want us to do and live the way you want us to live so that we can be examples to those around us. God bless us today, we pray. Bless those who can't be here today and just heal those who are sick and bring them back to be with us as soon as they can be here to have this fellowship because we miss them so much and you are with them, we know. Guide us through this service today and bless us now as we listen to your word. Be with Philip, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you brought your Bible today, we are still in Romans chapter 6. In May, May of 1962, Stan Lee introduced the newest superhero to the Marvel comics. He's called the Hulk. Hulk's alter ego was mild-mannered Dr. Bruce Banner. And those two, inner, the, those two independent personalities within uh, resented each other. Lee said that the Hulk's inspiration came from a combination of Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. The novel Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was created by Robert Louis Stevenson in 1886. Dr. Henry Jekyll is a kind, respected English doctor, and he's always repressing the evil within him. The good doctor came up with a serum that he hoped would conquer the dark side within. Instead, the chemicals turned him into the evil Mr. Edward Hyde. In the end, the doctor was unable to control the evil Hyde within. And someone asked Robert Louis Stevenson where he got the idea of the battle between Jekyll and Hyde. He said he got the idea from looking inside of himself. He said, I find that there's always a struggle with the beast that lives within me. C.S. Lewis said it this way, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried to be good. There we go. And we all deal with a battle between good and evil within ourselves. Hulk, Frankenstein, Hyde, all personify the human struggle with evil that we experience. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this nature inside of himself. In Romans 7:24, he said, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And you know, in this struggle between good and evil, only one will win. General Omar Bradley of World War II said, in war, there's no prize for the runner-up. How many of you have heard of skinks? Skink? Okay, some of you were in first service, you cheat. Skinks are lizards. In fact, there are over 1,500 different species of skink. They're smooth and shiny. And one was discovered in, uh, by a homeowner in Jacksonville, Florida. That skink had two heads and one on each end of its body. When it tried to run, its legs moved in opposite directions. Well, the Bible describes skink 
people. In James 1.8, it says their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They're unstable in everything they do. And we all struggle with which way we're going to go. Jesus calls to those who want to be good. His death, burial, and resurrection paid the price to make us right with God, and His indwelling Holy Spirit gives us the power to say no to sin. The Bible tells Christians in 1 Peter 1.14, Obey God because you are His children. Don't slip back into your old ways doing evil because you knew no better. But be holy now in everything you do, just as the Lord is holy, who invited you to be his child. He himself has said, you must be holy, for I am holy. And this struggle within us has a completion date. Philippians 1, 6 says, I'm convinced that God, who began his good work in you, will carry it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. When we see Jesus, sin won't have any allure at all. In an uncertain world, there's some things we can know for certain. We're in Romans 6, beginning in verse 8. Paul says, since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he'll never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And that's what we should be doing. Here's some things that we know in just this chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Surely you know that when we were baptized. Verse 8, since we died with Christ, we know. Verse 9, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead. Verse 16, surely you know that when you surrender yourselves. There are some things that we can know and there's things that we don't know. Let me tell you some things that you don't know. Freedom of speech doesn't protect us from the consequences of our speech. Frankenstein is the name of the doctor, not the monster. Did you know that? If you plug your earbuds into the laptop's microphone jack, they'll function as microphones. Bet you didn't know. They say that feeding bread to ducks is dangerous. Did you know that you're tallest first thing in the morning? And did you know that craving ice is a symptom of iron deficiency? Did you know that most people hit the elevator button multiple times to speed it up? And did you know, and I'll bet you've done this before, that many lower the volume of music in their car so that they can see better? You've done that, right? And many check their symptoms on the internet and convince themselves they're at death's door. In Romans 6, we know certain things. Verse 3, we know if we're baptized into Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Verse 6, we know that we're no longer slaves to sin. Verse 8, we know that we're going to live with Christ. Verse 9, we know that Christ was raised to life. Verse 16, we know we can be right with God. Now, the first command in the book of Romans is actually in chapter 6 and verse 11. For the first six chapters, Paul wanted people to know that we need his Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that, he could be, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Died, Christ died for our sin 
we need to die to our sin. There's something called the four spiritual laws, and you may have heard about it. The first spiritual law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But Satan's first spiritual law is Satan hates you and has demonic plans for your life. And that's why sin is always laying a trap for us, the Bible says. God said in Genesis 4, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. Well, there's four things we must do with sin. We need to research it, reckon with it, resist it, and replace it. Let's have a closing prayer. We need to research sin because the Bible defines sin, not society. And what we don't know can hurt us. Like the boxer that was in a ring with a superior fighter. He was getting the stuffing knocked out of him. Both of his eyes were swollen shut. His trainer kept encouraging him, saying, the other boxer isn't laying a glove on you. The boxer finally said, you better keep an eye on that referee. Somebody's hitting me. If we want to grow, we need to know. Verse 3, Paul says, surely you know. Verse 6, and we know. Verse 9, 4, we know. And since he emphasized knowledge, so should we. We need to educate ourselves on anything that we want to succeed with. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, But continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and knowledge. Hosea 4, God told the prophet, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Our lack of knowledge can destroy us. Matthew 22, 29, Jesus said, Your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. And how well do you know God's Word? And what do you know of God's power that's available and working in us? And what do we need to know from this passage? When we accepted Christ, our old life was dead and buried. He says in verse 3, for sin's power over us was broken when we became Christians and were baptized to be part of Jesus Christ. Through his death, the power of your sinful nature was shattered. And we've said in previous chapters, baptism symbolizes death. It reminded me when I was preparing this of a far side cartoon I saw many years ago. A bear was sitting up in his coffin and the caption said, for crying out loud, I was hibernating. Don't you guys ever take a pulse? <laughs> but when we were laid down in the water of baptism, that's when our old sin nature died and was buried. When we were lifted up from the water, a new life in Christ replaced that old life of sin. And in the Bible, believers were baptized immediately because of its importance. I'll take you through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. When the church was established, Peter instructed people to repent and be baptized. 3,000 were added to the church. When? That day. In Acts chapter 8, Paul taught an Ethiopian official about Jesus. Obviously, part of his presentation included baptism because they stopped the chariot. Philip baptized him immediately. Acts chapter 10 Peter taught a Roman centurion named Cornelius about Jesus. Peter baptized Cornelius and his whole household immediately. Acts 16, Paul and Silas taught a lady, a, a lady named Lydia 
about Jesus. And it says that she and her household were baptized immediately. The last half of chapter 16 of Acts, a Philippian jailer and his household believed Paul's message about Jesus. They were all baptized at midnight. They didn't even wait until daylight. In Acts 19, verses 1 through 7, it says that Paul met 12 men in Ephesus who'd previously been baptized by John the Baptist, but they hadn't even heard about Jesus before that baptism. Paul immediately baptized them again, and the Holy Spirit came on them. Paul himself, when he was converted by Ananias, Ananias said in Acts 22:16, what are you waiting for now? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away as you call on his name. Believers were baptized immediately because Peter said it was for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you want him as your Lord and Savior, when should you be baptized? Immediately, before you leave the building. When we accept Christ, the Bible says that sin loses the power it once had over us. Verse 6 of our text, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. And this Greek word means destroyed. It's abolished, done away with. Our old sinful lives are out of business. There's a saying that I saw on a church sign, if the wages of sin is death, shouldn't you quit before payday? One website that I found gave a hundred verses in the Bible that basically says the same thing, stop sinning. Two, two scriptures, 1 John 5:18. we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one can't touch them. 1 John 3, 9, those who have been born into God's family, that's us, do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. Now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. When we're given Christ and new life, we have a new power. This is what he says in verse 9. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. He'll never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God, which is our goal as well. He said in Ephesians 3.16, from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Philippians 4.13, I have the strength to face all the conditions by the power that Christ gives me. We all have that power. A young woman needed inner strength. She was expecting her third child. Her husband had been sick. She was experiencing a time of torment and fear of the future. She writes that bringing children into such a crazy, mixed-up world is just kind of wrong. She wrote this. I'm a wife and a mother. It was in the middle of the upheaval in the 60s that we were expecting our third baby. The drug culture was in full swing. The cities were seething with racial tension. 
The God is dead pronouncement was all through our educational system. My husband and I were going through one of the most difficult times in our life. It was on New Year's Eve that I sat alone in the darkness and quiet of our living room. I was thinking about the world and our country and Bill's discouragement and family problems and about our baby yet unborn. Who in the right mind would bring a child into a world like this? I thought the world is so evil. Influences beyond our control are so strong. What will happen to this child? I can't quite explain what happened at that moment, but suddenly I felt released from it all. The panic that had begun to build inside was gently dispelled by a reassuring presence that engulfed my life. It was the resurrection affirming itself in our lives once again. And as a result, she wrote these words. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. The greater still the calm assurance this child can face on certain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living because he lives. And the writer, of course, is Gloria Gaither. Our power source is Jesus Christ. We're dead to sin and alive in him. And that's why we need to reckon very carefully, Paul says in verse 11. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I figure that reckon is a, a term that cowboys use. I reckon so. And how big do you suppose that fence is? I reckon that fence is around a yard. You didn't get that. I reckon there is actually 102 Dalmatians, but one was not spotted. And do you reckon the clouds look down at people and say, look, that one's shaped like an idiot. <laughs> reckon means to count, to compute, to calculate, to consider. It's the Greek word from which we get our word logic. It means to decide carefully using all the information. Take everything into account and treat things accordingly. Weigh the reasons with deliberation and be careful about what you're going to do. Base your conclusions on good logic. Reckon yourself dead to sin because of the consequences of going back into the life you left. 2 Peter 2.20 explains, people can know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and escape the world's filth. But if they get involved again in this filth and give in to it, they're worse off than they were before. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of life that God approves of than to know it and turn their backs on the holy life God told them to live. These proverbs have come true for them. A dog goes back to its vomit, and a sow that's been washed goes back to roll in the mud. And the Bible says in the Old Testament, the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning. And that day, he's going to judge our decisions and our choices. And I reckon that about sums things up. Knowing and doing aren't the same thing. Satan knows that Jesus is Lord, and he lives like a devil. And if we know that Jesus is Lord, and we live like a devil, that's not going to help us a bit. Our theology needs to become our be-ology. Titus 2.12 says that God is instructing us to say no to ungodliness and unworldly des or worldly desires 
to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And we need to reckon that our love for God is more important than our love for ourselves. God will show us a way to resist sin, and that's what we need to do next. We need to resist it. And since we've approached the problem of sin in our lives with Bible research, and we reckon carefully, here's what a rational person will conclude, verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. It says don't let it. It suggests that we have to give permission to sin. See, once sin leaves us, it wants back in again. The Bible says sin is waiting to attack you like a lion. Sin wants to destroy you, but don't let it. Resist the devil, James says in James 4, 7. He'll run away from you. Ephesians 4, 27, don't give the devil an opportunity. This all is a surrender of our will. Romans 13, 12, put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, choose not to let sin in. And God gives us willpower and won't power. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He'll show you a way out so that you can endure. So you, when we're tempted, we can't say, well, I, I, I couldn't resist it. And how do we resist and avoid sin? Well, we need to recognize it. The Bible defines sin, not society. We need to pray that God will gently reveal our sins to us. Then we need to focus on His Word. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to stay away from sin. We know sin's lair, and it's different for all of us. For some, it's a liquor section. For others, it might be a computer when nobody's around. For others, a casino or a TV or something else. Don't visit sin's lair. In fact, repent of your sins, turn to God, so that your sins might be wiped away. It was Martin Luther who said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> we need to replace our sin. Verse 13, never offer any part of your body to sin's power. We need to offer ourselves to God and do everything that God approves of. You know, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face, you know what happens? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Read about a boy who fell out of bed. He cried out. His father came and tucked him back into bed and asked him how that happened. The boy says, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. And you know, we can do the same thing. We can be just barely in Christ, and we fall repeatedly. We need to get farther in. We can only do this by presenting ourselves totally to God. Verse 13, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead. Now you have new life. And this Greek word instrument literally means weapon. It's used in 2 Corinthians 10:4, where Paul says the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We are involved in spiritual warfare. We should not drop the weapons that God has equipped us with. So, dear brothers and sisters, 
I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. What do you say? Many years ago, we had a golden retriever. Her name was Narnia. She was very trained. She actually knew over 20 different tricks. She was obedient. Her eyes were always on us. She loved us. She would do anything to please us. Like Skidboot. Tell me what makes this dog so special. Take a look. Now, what, what is it that makes this dog so special? I, that's a hard one to answer, you know. And actually, when the dog was a year and a half old, I asked my wife to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm not going to get rid of it. And I said, well, do you mind if I take him with me rodeoing and we learn some manners? I did not expect to win anything because I'm not a dog trainer. I, Everything I did, I just did it like if I was trying to show you something. Okay. And I and all these dog trainers said, you, you, you're not training him right. And I said, well, please help me, you know. So I figured these were the real dog trainers and the real professional animal trainers, I didn't think we had a chance. Oh, that's awesome. What do you say when we look at your appearance? You wait, wait. I want you to listen to me. Wait. Ease up on it. Nope. Take a step, one step, take a step. No, that's too many. Back up, back up, back. Now turn around. Now ease up on it. Ease up on it. No, that's too close. Now turn the other way. That's pretty good. Now, can you go over and touch Mario? Go touch Mario. Wait, wait, wait. Take a step. Get closer. Get closer. Get closer. Back up. Get closer. Get closer. Get closer. Back up. Can you say your prayers? Can you get down and say your prayers? Say your prayers. Okay. That's a good boy. Now stand back up, please. Okay. Now turn around again. Now turn the other way. Now ease up to it. Just a little closer. Now just touch it. Touch the ball. Okay, that's a good ball. Okay, now get closer. Get closer. Get closer. Okay, now I'm gonna count to three. Now when I say three, you can get that toy. But don't you get that toy until I say three. All right, here we go. One. Two. Okay, I'll be nice. Nine, 28, uh, 47, 106, three. What made Skid Boots so special? He kept his eyes on his master. He listened carefully to his master's voice. He placed his master's desires above his own, and his actions proved his great love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And the final commandment Jesus gave, the resurrected Jesus gave in the uh, end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey 
everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If we love Jesus, we'll obey him, and if we obey him, we'll win the war within us and spend eternity with him. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we can learn a lot from a dog. Lord, help us to love you that much and more. If we love you, we'll obey your commandments. So, Father, where we've fallen and, and backslidden, we pray that you would restore us, that you'd give us your amazing grace that is filled in the book of Romans, but that you would set our feet back on the narrow path that leads to life, and you'd walk with us every step of the way. Help us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Bless Sun City West Christian Church. Thank you that you've kept our doors open this whole time. We are essential because you are essential. The world needs you, maybe more now than ever before. Bless your church. Bless us as we imitate Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.